Good evening, church. How are we doing? It's nothing quite like um, someone overselling you and your talk before you get up here. So um, thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, I hope everyone's had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. I went away with some friends down to Awakuni, uh, to the snow. And, um, you know, it's always a bit nerve-wracking when you go away with friends for the first time. So we had um, some really bad uh, suntans. So we've got some good goggle tans going on. Um, a couple of injuries, but safe to say we're actually still all friends. So it was a win for the weekend. Um, I was chatting with some friends about who I'd be talking about tonight as a giant of faith. And um, to be honest, no one was excited about who I was going to be talking about. And um, pretty much everyone went like, who? Um, so yeah, you're in for a real treat. Um, the reason I chose the person that I'm going to speak about tonight is um, because although there are so many inspirational um, people that have existed through the, throughout the years, I just have never felt like a real level of connection with any of them. Um, the most likely scenario for me is that I'm going to be living and working in New Zealand for most of my life. Um, I don't envisage that I'm going to be serving the poor in India. I'm not working in a refugee camp. Um, I'm not even persecuted for my faith like so many millions of Christians are around the world. Um, I'm not even in a cool band that's telling people about Jesus. Like, I just can't sing. Like, I wish, right? But neither option is right or wrong. It's just that I have never felt that level of connection with them. I'm not a saint, um, far from it. And so for me, I'm always looking for people that have lived a life that I can connect with. Um, it might surprise you, but I actually really enjoy working. Um, I enjoy having a sense of purpose uh, when I get up every day. Um, I enjoy the challenge of participating in something that's bigger than me. Um, I love seeing factories come together. There's a new show out there about factories at the moment, guys. It's pretty cool. Um, I enjoy systems coming together, um, all to create something that's bigger than what one person can do on their own. I just, I love it. Um, so it felt only fitting for me to talk about a Christian business giant here in New Zealand. So tonight, I would like to introduce you to, I was going to have the drum roll, but we'll be good, uh, Robert Laidlaw. And have we got this clicker working? Have I not turned it on? Um, dashing man he is. Um, some of you might be familiar with his name, but a bit of info, he was born in Scotland in 1885. Uh, he immigrated with his family uh, here to, or to Dunedin, actually, at the age of one. He, um, we're going to skip through. He left school at 16 uh, to work full-time for his father's hosiery company, so a stocking and socks company. Real exciting stuff. Um, Laidlaw's family was an open brethren family. And, um, but he, at the age of 17, experienced his own conversion to faith um, when there was a travelling evangelist um, by the name of R.A. Torrey, um, who, where he attended the service. And um, it was quite sort of a dramatic experience for him, like it just sort of was something that was a really defining moment. A few years later, he moved to Auckland and worked as a travelling wholesaler, and as a young man, Laidlaw made a number of commitments to tithe, not to swear or drink um, or smoke. And so as a travelling wholesaler, he was expected to um, schmooze clients by taking them out for a drink. But instead, he gave out these high-quality pocket knives 
and um, decided that he would just trust that his character uh, would speak for itself. As a young man, um, sorry, at the age of 24, he established a business called Laidlord Leeds, uh, which was a mail-order catalogue business, which was the first of its kind in New Zealand. And over the next nine years, the business grew rapidly. And um, so he merged with Farmers Union Trading Company, now known as Farmers Department Store. Can I, can you check that out for me? Thanks. Can we have that? Farmers, perfect. So he um, remained the general manager of Farmers until his retirement. So Laidlaw um, tried to carry a lot of these uh, values into his workplace, where there was to be no swearing or acting in an unseemly manner. And my favourite was that everyone was to be generally optimistic. Um, tricky at Farmers, I'm sure. Throughout Laidlaw's life, there were a number of things that he was known for. Um, he encouraged this idea of optimism and edited a company magazine called The Optimist, uh, which was distributed monthly to uh, staff where he would write articles on personal optimism and the habit of always looking for the best in people. And we'll go to that next slide. He, um, out of concern for his staff he and their faith, he wrote a book called The Reason Why and explains all the different aspects of his faith and Christian beliefs. Um, it has actually sold over 16 million copies and also had them printed and they were predominantly given away to people. Um, it was also uh, uh, translated into 30 different languages. And the next slide, please. He also established um, or helped start the Postal Sunday School Mail Service. Um, it was a mail order service that delivered Sunday school lessons to children in rural areas. Um, it still actually exists today, but as an email service. And during its peak, there were 9,000 subscribers and an additional 3,000 overseas. And can we have that next slide, sorry. Robert Laidlaw and... Um, oh, thanks, guys. Robert Laidlaw and another Baptist minister opened up the first New Zealand Bible Training Institute, uh, now known as Laidlaw College, formerly as the Bible College of New Zealand. At 18, um, Laidlaw created a tithing contract, you know, businessman got a contract, uh, with God where he committed to tithing 10% of his income. And two years later, he adjusted, made an amendment to the contract to say that he would increase his tithing uh, percentage as his income increased. So he actually got to the stage where his giving increased from 10% of his income to at least 50% of his income. This um, actually enabled him to do a lot of different things. He purchased camps for youth, got involved in Christian broadcasting, supporting missionaries. And in World War II, he stayed in the UK where he oversaw the opening of these canteens uh, that would encourage, evangelise, and spread the gospel message predominantly to soldiers in Britain and wider Europe. He was deeply passionate about spreading the gospel message, just as it had transformed his life. You know, I, um, I look at Robert Laidlaw, and in many respects, he's just an ordinary man, a businessman. But what I love about him was that he was faithful in his environment, faithful in his business, in his work, and with his money, his attitudes and optimism. I'm not really sure how his 
staff felt about the fact that, you know, he wrote a book essentially to explain his faith to them, but he was continuously faithful and unashamed of his faith. And so for me, you know, he is a giant. When I was um, told by Monica that we'd be doing this series on the giants of faith, I, um, I found myself asking the question, do giants even exist today? You might be like me, and unfortunately, there are a number of people that I would have considered to be giants of late, and they've been more like shrinking giants as their sins and various actions have come to light. And I find it increasingly harder to take encouragement from these guys. Um, When I was a teenager, the Columbine shooting massacre in America occurred where teenagers were shot at school by a couple of other students. And one of the surviving students heard someone be asked by a shooter if they still believed in God, and then the gun went off. It's actually um, a little bit unsure as to who that person was, but the question that was being asked around my friends at the time was, if you had a gun to your head and asked if you still believed in God, and that determined whether you lived or died, would you still admit you were a Christian? And uh, thankfully, I've actually progressed from my teenage years. And um, I find the harder question is, can I be a giant for God every day of my life? I don't know if you asked yourself that question, but I wonder if maybe it's easier to die once for God than live for him every day. So what is it that makes a giant? You know, when I look at Robert Laidlaw and other giants throughout history, they all had these big ideas, these dreams and aspirations and convictions that just kept driving them. Robert Laidlaw's dream was to work, outwork his faith within his life, and this was reflected in the way he did business, how he treated his employees, and used his money. His ordinary life was, was tilted in such a way that his every day became extraordinary because he had the vision, the conviction, and the dreams to make it so. The Christmas um, before my husband passed away, we decided not to do Christmas presents for each other just to save a bit of money. And so um, Carl decided to write me a letter. And in this letter, he was talking about our life and um, how I'd encouraged him to dream dreams. And um, he said, I quote, Not just your run-of-the-mill dreams, but big dreams that will leave you crapping a little in your pants. What can I say? He was a real charmer. But this week I was thinking about this letter, and um, I couldn't help but ask, like, what happened? You know, what happened to me? What happened to me dreaming and pursuing these dreams? I think way too often we forfeit our dreams on the altar of fear. We're afraid of failure especially in New Zealand. You know, we look, at si- look sideways at the dreamers and make sure they're aware of the realities first. I'm so guilty of doing this. Someone may come up with an idea and we can quickly give them the, the reality check, telling them the 10 most realistic reasons why it won't work. And if it's not someone telling us that, we should be telling ourselves that, Right? We can be insecure, afraid of what people might think of us, of looking foolish, or we can remain entitled and unwilling to sacrifice what it might mean to make that dream happen. 
We're so desperate to belong that we're afraid of chasing our dream and what it might do to our social status and we're afraid of being inadequate or failing. Um, as a student, I'm currently, I'm sort of always looking for part-time work. And um, over the last couple of weeks, I've been dropping these um, flyers off for a business into rural letterboxes. And um, I even got the pleasure, or the privilege, whatever you want to call it, uh, to post a letter into this awkward letterbox. Um, it's a cow's behind, for those of you who can't wear that out. It actually took me quite a while to work out where I was meant to post it. Um, you know, the student life, things we do for a little bit of money. Anyway, these flyers were generated from a mail merge um, with addresses already pre-addressed on them. So all I had to do was like drive to middle of nowhere, uh, match the address on the letter with the street address, right? But because the mail merge was done um, based off of titles of land and not necessarily physical addresses, I'd be driving along and have this flyer addressed to a block of land. Um, most of them were connected with farms and things like that, so I actually couldn't physically drop them off because there was no letterboxes. But I found this was happening a lot, and I just found myself really hating the day, um, not just because it was, you know, minimum wage and dropping letterboxes off, uh, dropping stuff off in letterboxes, but I just didn't want to go back to the owner with this bunch of unposted letters. And um, I was driving home, and it clicked. I was just feeling totally inadequate, and like I'd just failed and that the owner would be disappointed in my efforts and that he would think that I was inadequate, but there were no letterboxes. There was no one there to post and tell about this great rural broadband offer. <laughs> but I think, you know, sometimes we have this stinking thinking. Huh? Stinking thinking. We're serving this mystery person in our minds that are telling us that our fears are real even when they're blatantly not and even when there's no letterboxes. Our minds and stinking thinking are dictating us. Because if you're looking for an excuse to dream or pursue a dream, you're always going to find one. I want to read you a scripture. It's um, 2 Samuel 23.20 and... I was actually going to check with Dad how to say this dude's name, but anyway, I forgot. So, Benaiah, son of Jay, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. Savage. Um, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, Benaiah was one of King David's top men, one of his top 37 men. And I don't know about you, but I often look at these guys and um, just fail to realise how courageous they actually are. Um, courageous or mental, I'm not sure which one. But, you know, we all want to be the hero. We all want to be the top warrior. But how many of us are actually willing to run into a pit on a freezing, cold, snowy day to kill the lion? You know, I think it's um, in these moments of fear we often, you know, fight, flight or freeze. And here we see Benaiah run towards the lion. How often do we run towards our fears? Can you imagine seeing a lion and deciding to chase it into a pit to kill it? I'd be freaking out. 
But Benaiah ran towards the line. He leapt into that hole. You know, we're, we're so often complacent in our pursuit of God and his dreams. You know, we sort of sit there and say, if God wants it, he'll bring it to us. He'll make it happen. But Benaiah chased the lion. He didn't run from what he was afraid of. He ran towards it. And these actions actually changed the course of his life. Uh, David made Benaiah the head of his bodyguards. And it, it wasn't like being old T. Swift's bodyguards. You know, it was dangerous stuff. People wanted to kill David. It was a real honor. And then later on in his life, he actually became the commander-in-chief of Solomon's army. I have uh, no doubt that there will be a common theme amongst the giants in this series, in their pursuit, their tenacity, and perseverance. Keith Green last week continued to pursue his music. Laidlaw pursued these business opportunities and was active in helping his, see, his staff see and understand the gospel. You know, what I love is that um, when someone pursues a dream, there are always ripple effects. Benaiah was selected to be one of David's key men in the pursuit of David becoming king. Robert Laidlaw's legacy still continues as people read his book, are employed by the company he created. Children who receive Sunday school lessons, people who are able to train in Bible and theology at the, co at the college he helped establish. You know, the list goes on. Our dreams are possible because of the dreams that were dreamed before us, and your dreams will affect future generations. I'm getting older, still young, uh, but I know that I need to ask myself the question, what legacy am I going to leave? You know, you're brave enough to ask yourself that question, or do you just put it in the too hard basket? Because we need dreams that are going to bring us to our knees. I know that this is true for my own life, but when my prayer life is sucking or just plain lacking, and I know that I'm not connected with God, let alone trying to think about pursuing dreams, it's almost too overwhelming. We need dreams that are bigger than our sin and temptations because our heart is so connected with God in the pursuit of his dreams that we don't want to compromise it. We need dreams that drive us to Jesus. And this is so important because you want to be praying, because you want to be sure that you heard Jesus say, get out of the boat or else you're falling in that water. But if Jesus said, get out of the boat, you want to be sure that you get out of the boat. You know, God-sized dreams are so often beyond us, beyond our finances, beyond our resources, beyond our abilities, and in so many ways seem foolish, but it's so that God can get the credit. Our confidence isn't to be in our resumes or in our own performances, but in God. We want to be seeking God's applause, not each other's. God asks to be co-creators with him, and he wants us to dream and pursue these dreams. But the pursuit of dreams isn't trial-free. Unfortunately, that was something that God never promised. And I think it's only fitting, um, and especially in the light of the news that we heard um, tonight about Bernie and Vika to talk about broken dreams. And I guess because there's so many circumstances in life that just completely derail us, 
I know I've had them. And it doesn't take long into getting to know someone to find out that they too have experienced broken dreams. Dreams can shatter before us. And sometimes these dreams, they catapult us into areas of personal growth and strengthen our relationship with God, but sometimes they just break us and we hit rock bottom. When we find ourselves with shattered dreams like a broken marriage, broken relationships, the death of a loved one, career loss, failing at work or in study, we want to lash out at God because we're, we're sad and we're angry we run away in the opposite direction, refusing to ever do that or ever go back again. We feel like we failed ourselves, God, friends or family, or that God failed us, or other people like parents and friends failed us in their roles. These shattering moments are defining moments. Because when we dream, we create pictures in our mind of how we think life will turn out. And when it doesn't, it's so painful and we don't know what to do about it. We grieve these dreams, these futures that we thought we'd have. But we have to turn around and face them. Because until you face that resentment, that anger, that disappointment, the loss, own any responsibility or just the reality of the situation, you'll never grow. It takes a lot of courage. A lot. But at that point, you become a recipient of God's grace because, as Monica said before, and the Bible tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Unfortunately, our dreams are built around imperfect people in an imperfect world. What is sometimes hard to understand or allow is that God can still use your shattered dreams to allow growth and a deeper relationship with him. But what if you don't have a dream? For a lot of Christians trying to work out God's plan for their lives or figure out where they fit, it can not only be daunting, but just overwhelming. And, you know, one of the most beautiful things that we have is this gift of free will. But as fortunate as we are to live in the country that we do, we have boundless opportunities and the option to choose a direction for our life. It can often be hard when there are just those endless opportunities, options in front of us. And then when you add the God factor in there, it can feel like God's plan for our lives is like looking for the great big mystery of life. When we ask, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are you passionate about? It becomes a maze for us to navigate where only, if you work out all the clues correctly, you get to find out what God wants. But there's actually a really simple answer to this question. God's will is not actually, or not necessarily, about your pleasure. It's about finding out what breaks God's heart. There's this um, illustration in philosophy that talks about a donkey who is really hungry and is placed precisely midway between two stacks of hay. But it can't decide which pile of hay to eat from, so instead of choosing, it remains in the middle and starves to death. It's a decision paralysis or a choice overload. 
You know, we have so many options available to us that instead of choosing one, we choose none and do nothing. And worse, we end up being unsatisfied. And I think a part of us dies. But again, the, the picture of the donkey is actually asking the wrong question. It shouldn't be about what I should eat. It should be about others who can't eat at all and don't have a choice. You know, this breaks God's heart. Like the donkey, we have so many choices and we find ourselves determining the will of God purely by our own choices and not what breaks God's heart. God is a father who isn't wanting to hide all these good things from us, but what do we do when we feel like we have choice overload or have no idea what our dreams are? You know, Laidlaw, I have no doubt, wanted to run a successful business with good Christian values and principles but it served a greater purpose. It, saw, it financed so many other ventures for God. But Laidlaw first looked. He saw what broke God's heart. He saw the needs of underprivileged youth, and so he set up camps for them. He saw his staff struggling to understand God and his faith, so he wrote a book. He saw men dying at war without faith, so he helped create opportunities for Christians to share the gospel with them. It's about taking the step, that step with what is right in front of you instead of worrying about what it's going to look like in 10 years' time. As you start to make little choices, God then opens up other pathways for you to make more little choices. And then you find that these choices actually just become a direction. And you start building the mini version of the dream. There's a scripture in Zechariah that says, don't don't despise the day of small beginnings. And when you look at it like that, it's really simple and achievable. I think of Layla in business, it would, be, it would be so easy to say, I would love to be the person who creates a business empire. But Layla started small. But with it, he was faithful and he was courageous. He continued to be obedient and most of all, he didn't give up. He was courageous because his goal was to build God's kingdom, not his own. God could trust Laidlaw with more and more because Laidlaw became more and more generous as time went on. As a teenager, um, I did this course, and at the end of it, we had to create these, more, uh, these boards sorry, that represented um, all of the things that had meaning to us and revealed our dreams and aspirations. So it was basically like a mood board for your life. And one of the things that we had to do was put a scripture on it. And on it, I placed Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And this verse has stuck with me ever since. Because dreaming is a lesson in faith. There was a, um, a recent study that um, asked people questions in regards to re regret in their life. And 84 of the participants said that they regretted their inactions, so not necessarily regretting their actions, but their inactions. They regretted not doing something or pursuing something. It's just so revealing, don't you think? One of the other ways to discover your dream is by helping others with theirs. It might seem a little bit odd, but... 
to help other people with their dreams. But in this um, same study that I mentioned, it also found that although it's often assumed that we need inspiration first before we can strive to achieve something, that it isn't actually true. The study said that waiting around for inspiration can often just be an excuse. Ouch. Inspiration comes when we engage in activity, when we get involved in things that cause our minds to get curious, when we start participating and experimenting with different things. It's only then that we start to get creative, start to see how things could be better and start to dream about how we can play our part in these things or where we see the gaps that we are inspired to dream. Helping others with their dreams inspires our own dreams. Because remember, when we get to the end of our lives, it's the missed opportunities that we regret more. I'm going to um, finish up there and we're going to get the band to come up. I think it's important and, um, to just take the time, I think, to ask ourselves questions sometimes. And I just wonder if there are dreams that you guys need to awaken if there's sacrifices that you need to make. Are we cut out? If there's fears that um, you need to deal with. Or maybe you need to re-envisage dreams that have been broken or shattered and turn around and face them. Because God can handle all of those. You know? Why don't we pray? Lord, we just um, we thank you that you allow us to dream and to partner with you, God. But God, there are so many things that often stand in our way. We stand in our own way. God, I just pray that um, for anyone here that just needs to answer these questions, that needs to look at their fears in their life or have these dreams awaken within them, God, I just um, I just pray that you just touch in their hearts, God, and just create a stirring in them. We just, um, we thank you. We thank you that you allow this and you ask us to partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.